podcast this week, we turn on the dash cam and talk to the director and stars of the brand new British horror, Rob Savage, Annie Hardy and Umarjada Patel. All that and more on the movie podcast. I can't imagine that the Queen could possibly have a better night than that time she attended a function in the States and ended up with Lieutenant Frank Drebin lying on top of her. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast this week. We're in the grey, depressing pod booth, as per usual. But this week, we have no Helen O'Hara. Oh no. She has decided to take some... Hey Siri. <laughs> hey Siri. What is holiday? Siri's gone on holiday as well. Siri's just not responding to that. Siri can, cannot even comprehend the mere concept of a holiday, and nor can I. Helen O'Hara is away, but I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week. Great big fucking nerd, James Dyer, is here. Hello there. Hello there. Oh, wait, we've just done that one. That's right. Damn it. Uh, hello, James. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Christopher. Yes. Good. Yes. It's been a bit of a day. Obviously, this is the this is the only day we're in the office this week because her madge has condensed the week. So we are pressed for time. We are time. pressed for time. So we're yes. going to do this particular podcast in a record time. Record time. And uh, you've recorded... Um, was it your, your show? My little called? fan your show. Little, pilot. Little fan yes, show. I've done pilot. We've done Obi Wan. This is my third pod in a row. I'm slightly <laughs> exhausted. Yeah. Slightly delirious. Yeah, but it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll, it'll and be what good. could possibly go wrong? Yeah. You were a valuable contributor to the Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi podcast. <laughs> so I expect you'll be just some sort of puddle by the end of this. You'll, yeah. be, you'll be totally fine. But we're also joined by someone doing their second podcast in a row. Look at him. He's ready for more. It is, of course, the best dressed golfing film yeah, I was journalist say, I was going to say he's wearing a lovely, lovely sort of Pringle Nick yeah further you got a touch of the Faldos today with this lovely sweater maybe we'll take a picture of it and post it on socials uh, it is of course Amon Warman how are you? I'm well I'm well this is actually the the debut the coming out party of this uh, top today it should, it should go back in <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no it's lovely it's lovely yeah. uh, you're going to play around with Tarby later on? <laughs> I was talking to you about this golf thing earlier. Apparently, I like a golfer today. Like, I, I, I've i never done any actual proper golfing. I know that you've done a lot with your wife recently. Oh, I have. <laughs> Easy. It's <laughs> very personal. It is, isn't it? Yes, my wife and I have become swingers of, of late. <laughs> we do love a bit of golf. <laughs> and we play golf as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holding nah. mom. James now. <laughs> Oh, it's a fair way from here until the end of the podcast. <laughs> I've run out of There's golf just, terminology. I've got nothing. Yeah, thank God. Otherwise, nothing. it's like an albatross around there my neck. We go. There, there we go. go. Uh, anyway, yes, uh, Amon is looking sharp and slick. Yeah. And uh, here we are on the week that Helen is away, and we're talking about a men, which is a film about toxic masculinity. <laughs> and we have, frankly, this is a big old sausage fest. So I apologize. Yeah. And we all look like Rory Kinnear. So that's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> We will be talking about men later on in the show, but much later on in the show, now it is actually time to delve deep into this week's listener question, uh, which you guys don't know what it is, mainly because I haven't actually chosen one yet. <laughs> uh, I did a panic. <laughs> I did a panic this morning. I was on the uh, the train back from Leeds. Why was I in Leeds? Well, I was on visiting a set of a movie. If you must know, <laughs> with your incessant questionings, I'm on Mormon. <laughs> I said, any questions for the teams to tackle? Because we're away, because of Queen of Palooza. If you don't know what's happening, if you're an overseas listener and you're thinking, what the hell's going on here? So <laughs> the Queen, it's her platinum jubilee this week, which yeah. is 70 years atop the throne. And uh, the country's losing its mind over this. 
the upside of this is that we get two days off. We get um, a bank holiday and an extra bank holiday, and they have been brought together in the same week to give people what they think is ostensibly a four-day weekend. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I've seen my schedule. I am busy. I'm working most of tomorrow for a start. I'm hoping to take Friday off. That would be nice. That would be really, really nice, but we'll see how it goes. But anyway, because of that, that's why we're here recording this podcast early. Uh, and so I said, we'll record this week's podcast today because of Queen of Palooza. Uh, any questions for the team to tackle? So the first question is from at Sirijo underscore UK, but just scrolling through here, pretty much loads of people have asked this, uh, including Louise Burr, Izzy Paul Spies, and various other people have basically asked the best examples of royalty, not just British in movies. Obviously, we have to go with Black Panther here. Uh, T'Challa. There he goes. King. Regular as clockwork. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm on. He's no King Ralph. And I think we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> we can agree. <laughs> but T'Challa, I'd also say Coming to America yes. has awesome black royalty uh, in that film as well. So those would be the two that immediately come to mind. Oh, Coming to America would be my number one without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. Wait, yeah. I remind you the Princess Leia. I knew you were going to say that. Is... I knew you were going to say that. I mean, if we're getting into it, Duke Leto Atreides obviously is a duke, but I'm saying royalty, you know, so. <laughs> is it, I guess it is royalty, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Okay. As much as I love Thor as a character, he's he's not a very good prince or king <laughs> in the MCU. Cast you out! <laughs> uh, Starts up a war. You know, has as God be destroyed or Oh, he's a brat. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not the greatest. Uh, so, King Ralph, James said. <laughs> is there any fondness for that movie? <laughs> King Ralph, in which case people don't know what that is. Do you it's know, the, like, so I always oh, hold them as a, I was trying to explain what oh, it was, sorry, Chippa, go, but go, you know, go, that's fine. Go, go, go. In case people don't know what it is, is the movie in which John Goodman is made the King of England after the entire royal family. Uh, are electrocuted. It's really dark. <laughs> it's really dark. I rewatched, I rewatched yeah. just the opening of King Ralph a couple of years ago. My wife and I were we'd stop playing golf for the afternoon, obviously, and we we, we were uh, we were stumbling around just looking for stuff to watch. And King Ralph was on TV, and was like rewatching it. It's like everybody dies, and it's played for comedy, and it's so really totally bizarre and fucked up and then John Goodman who of course is this uncouth brash American uh, who loves rock and roll and all the stuff that the Brits don't like becomes the the king and you know it's a classic hmm. classic rags to ridges storyline it's not terribly good but it's uh, but he is a, he's a good example of a king I would say solid who mm, who else <laughs> can I pick from a royalty point of view Come the on, alien yes. queen <laughs> There's one right there. Oh, go on. Aragorn, son of Arathorn. He is Isildur's heir. Um, <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I must yes. concede. Yeah. Yes, Aragorn, he made a good point son there. of Ath Arathorn. Yes. <laughs> the yes. third movie is literally uh, titled The Return of the King. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean... Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I prefer to do that. Him. Likes Lord of the Rings, right? I'm surprised. No, no, no I love Lord of the Rings, but I, I see. I'm a big Strider fan. Like when he's like Duna Dane, like when he's got Strider, it. when he's you know, and whatever fifteen other names he's got. Uh, <laughs> I like him when he sort of scrubs up as the king. No, really, no. He has that awesome scene at the Black Gate with that awesome speech. Does he though? Does he though? Yes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Depends on what edition you're watching. <laughs> well, I suppose that's true. Uh, in fact, how much of it is in? Because I, I, the lines blur. How much of that scene at the Black Gate is in the theatrical cut? 
I, it's been a long time since I've seen the extended. Because I, yeah, I only watched the extended. But <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I know the mouth of Sauron is only in the extended. But does the Black I, Gate scene still feature? I think that entire speech still features okay. in the theatrical okay. edition. Okay. The the mouth of Sauron, as you say, is in the, the extended edition. Poor Bruce. Yeah. The this day we fight. That's in the theatrical. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. No, that's 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 not a bad shout. Not a bad shout. I'll I'll give you that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, who else? Kings, queens. Uh, oh my gosh! Lenny. Oh, the king and queen are in. Uh, lest we forget the Downton Abbey movie. So you know, yes, they are. I can't believe it's, I've waited this long to say this. This is. Uh, I feel bad myself. Mufasa, Mufasa, the Mufasa. Lion King. Yeah, he is the best animated movie. What the what the best Disney animated movie of all time? Still for me. Um, I know because no, no, the best no. animated movie of all time is Spider Man into the Spider Verse. I I have a I have a, a very large soft spot for. The Lion King, the original animated Lion King. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Loved nah, it. And Mufasa, still, Mufasa. <laughs> still to this day, when Mufasa dies, it, it, it doesn't feel good. I don't like watching No, it doesn't feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. <laughs> if it felt good, you'd be a sociopath. So. I, I, I don't like watching it's, it. It's not a cheerable <laughs> moment. It's not played for lols, like generally. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think he enjoys it either, <laughs> in fairness. It just makes me feel very sad, is all. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, Mufasa is a fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying it now, um, but he is a fantastic king, and yes. I love the relationship that he has with Simba all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, and then when he ascends to oh, the liking is so good. Love that movie. What about depictions of our beloved royal family in in the movies? The movies. <laughs> uh, anything that, that springs to mind apart from your obvious ones? Helen Mirren as the queen in. Um, let me Google it. The Queen, uh, or Colin Firth as the uh, King George V in the Queen's the Queen's speech, the King's speech, the King's speech. I, I do have a soft spot for the King's speech. I know that it, it, it one best. It's a lot of shit, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, I liked it. Yeah, me too. So me Maybe not to the tune of like Best Picture winner, but I do like. I the mean, movie. most films that win Best Picture aren't deserving of winning Best Picture, mm. but it's a pretty good film. Yeah, I think. Agreed. All right then. <laughs> agree to agree <laughs> let's move on shall we uh, oh. what, about, what about things like Spencer and what about the, the numerous depictions of Princess Diana are we fans of any of those have they just not cracked that particular nest yet no no love for it no Spencer, love no the Queen no I mean they're fine she didn't even get the voice right <laughs> oh I thought Christmas wow. Stewart. What? I thought Christmas Stewart was good in the role. The film I didn't have a lot of time. A lot for. of head acting. A lot of head yeah. tilt acting. It was good. Mm. Yeah. The film, not so much. Although the score by Johnny Greenwood oh was gosh, fantastic. <laughs> what? It's true. Um but yeah. I I, I do you watch The Crown? I I don't I do not it. get down with the crown now. <laughs> Yeah. Heavy is the remote control that <laughs> links to the crown or something. I don't know. I hadn't thought that through. But anyway, let's just go with it. Uh, I'm going to say, and I've already said it, and I say the naked gun constantly, the naked gun, top secret, evil there to event horizon. Those are my four uh, revolving answers <laughs> that apply to pretty much any question we get asked in the podcast. But I'm going to say it's the best depiction of the queen on on the big screen. Is it and event horizon? Did I miss that? Scene? No, not event horizon. But, you know, but of those four, the one that's yeah. applicable in this case, Jimbo, is the naked gun which uh, is entirely based around an attempt to kill the queen I must kill 
the Queen at the baseball game we talked about in depth. Enrico Palazzo. Ago. <laughs> yes. Hey, it's Enrico yeah. Palazzo. <laughs> all that stuff. That's all based around the attempt to kill the Queen at the uh, at the baseball game in LA. Uh, and uh, Lieutenant Sergeant Frank Driven. <laughs> I love that joke, which implies a sergeant is his first name, but anyway, is assigned to kill her. And not to kill her, to protect her. And, you know, winds up in the very first big soiree, accidentally mistaking her for a terrorist and bundling over. It's much funnier in the film, believe me. But then, mm. they, you know, he, he lands on top of her in a very sexually mm. suggestive position. Tons of fun. She's played in that movie by Jeanette Charles, who was certainly, I'm not sure if she still is, uh, was certainly the leading Queen Elizabeth II impersonator and played her in a number of movies, if I'm right in thinking, um, uh, over the years. And she's she's very good in that movie. She gets a lot of stuff to do. Jeanette Charles, still alive. Astonishingly, she is still alive. Uh, she's 94. Wow, that's a good innings. That is a very good innings. Jeanette Charles is a British retired actress who often portrayed Queen Elizabeth II due to her resemblance to the monarch, says my good old pal, Wiki, Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, and she uh, was in all sorts of stuff. She was in National Lampoon's European Vacation as the Queen. She was in The Parent Trap as the Queen. And she was in Austin Powers in Goldmember as the Queen. So there you go. That's just four of the films that Jeanette Charles appeared in. Not to be confused with Jeanette Goldstein, who played, of course, Vasquez in Aliens, which has the best movie queen. That's right. <laughs> Another great movie king, Leonidas in 300. That's <laughs> podcast! That is a good yes. one. That is a good one. That mm-hmm. is a good one. Yeah. Um, Spartans, what is your profession? Oh, Aru. That, Aru. I mean, that makes absolutely Sorry, no what? sense. Your, your profession is Aru. 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 <laughs> Are they French? <laughs> you see, my friend, I have brought more soldiers than you. Wait, line. Then we will <laughs> podcast in the shade. <laughs> We probably will when the lights turn off in a second. It's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, probably will, yeah. Um, Queen Amidala. Someone suggested Queen Amidala. Of course, we you know yeah. we said Princess Leia, but yeah, everyone everyone loves Queen Amidala. I still have issues <laughs> with the fact that she's she's a democratically elected monarch. It's uh, it's weird. Anyway, here we go. Let me see. I'm going to throw one more question at you guys real quick. Filippo81, how easy slash difficult is it for a film franchise to divorce itself from a toxic fandom? And why does the toxic fandom continue to consume output it obviously hates? Now, this is something we discussed at length, actually, on that most recent Obi-Wan Kenobi spoiler Mm. special. But for people who didn't and perhaps aren't entirely sure what this is about, this is a, a direct reference to something that emerged this week post-Star Wars celebration, which is at Moses Ingram, the actress who plays the third sister slash Reva on Obi-Wan Kenobi, which of course is on Disney Plus right now, this week revealed that she's been getting, she's been inundated with file discussing abhorrent racist messages and DMs on Instagram from people who purport to be Star Wars fans, but who are anything but. Uh, Moses Ingram is uh, a person of colour who, who plays effectively Amon, the first prominent black woman in, in live-action Star Wars. And sadly, she has gone down the road of Kelly Marie Tran before her, and John Boyega before her, and just been targeted by these absolute rancid fucking dickheads. 
it's disgusting to see. Uh, what was good to see this week is that she's not standing for this. She's highlighting this and that Star Wars as an entity, which previously got criticized, I think quite correctly, for kind of standing by and letting this sort of shit happen to Kelly Marie Tran in particular after The Last Jedi, issued a very, very unequivocal statement denouncing and decrying this. Saying something like there's 20, 20 million sentient species mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Why would you choose yeah. to be, don't choose to be a racist. Why would you choose to be a racist? That mm-hmm. sort of thing. But awful. Yeah, uh, awful is the word. It really angers me on so many levels. You know, this is Moses Ingram who's having uh, a breakout few years. I mean, I think she only sort of really started acting in roles in, in, in 2018. And already she's had stuff like The Queen's Gambit and now this ambulance show. Ambulance as well. She's and an ambulance, ambulance yeah. you know, she's having uh, a breakout few months. And this should be the highlight of that. You're joining Star Wars, one of the biggest franchises in the world. As you say, the first prominent black woman to really sort of have uh, a role in this universe. She should be on cloud nine right now, but instead she's having to deal with this nonsense, which really, really irritates me. In regards to the question, how does one divorce itself from that? It's very, very tricky because in the world of the internet, anybody's going to have the opportunity to have a you know, voice and to make their opinions known, no matter how stupid they are. So, you know, and it's not just Star Wars in that regard. We've had it in DC stuff. We've had it in MCU. Marvel stuff. What we can do, and as you say, what Star Wars have done as an entity is denounce it um, as loudly and as often as possible. Mm. Um, that's not something which we've previously seen from Star Wars. I'm glad that we are now seeing that. Um, it means a lot um, to have them come out and say that. And for not just us to see, but for Moses Ingram, I'm sure, to know that people have her back um, in a big way, I think is great. But unfortunately, this has become the norm. This has become expected. This is None of this that's happened with Moses Ingram, none of it which will happen in the future, will be surprising. And it makes me so upset to say that. Um, I don't know how we fully to divorce ourselves from it. I'm not sure it's possible at this stage. But to have people denounce it mm-hmm. uh, loudly and often, I think, is one of the ways to go. It's an unfortunate symptom of, of well, not just fandom as a whole, but just people. Because you say, like... Fandom is fandom and racists are racists. And when racists are in fandom, they're just going to be racist because people are trying to sort of like make sense of it. Like, oh, there's no logic to it. People are complaining about race in a universe with aliens. It's, it's got nothing to do with logic. It's just that some people are racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is sad. Yep, absolutely. I think the the way ahead to divorce yourself from this sort of thing as a fan base, do exactly what Star Wars and Lucasfilm and Disney have done in this case, which is to make a statement denouncing it and also to show the, the right way through the products that you make. Right. I mean, on, on the spoiler special, um, you know, Ben Travis, who was just at Star Wars Celebration, spoke of the love that he felt and that Hayden Christensen in particular felt while being at Celebration and how that was so awesome to see given the reaction to the prequels. Um, and yeah, I would love to be in, envi- in an environment like that maybe when uh, Celebration comes to London next year as it's going to do, I can get myself down to that. Because that is the environment that I love to be in. And that's the environment that I find myself in at numerous occasions, uh, whether it be live podcasts, whether it be even when we go and see a big uh, multimedia screening, there's that love for what we're Mm. about to see and the excitement for what we're about to see. 
and that is the way to express your fandom. I, I mean, when when it's done right, fandom is a beautiful thing, and I love being involved in mm-hmm. it. And there's something worth pointing out there. Like people are saying, "Oh, Star Wars fandom is toxic and, and whatnot." Like, and and like, I've never found that to be the case in general. I've been to Celebration a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and it is such a warm, inclusive, just loving, just hugely positive place mm-hmm. full of people who are really passionate and open. And the love that people like Kelly Marie, Kelly Marie Tran have had at those events is real. And I think there, of course, are toxic parts of fandom, but they're not the kind of people who are at Celebration. It's the kind of people who's sitting in their basements on the internet being trolls. Uh, and I, and you know, it's not unique to Star Wars. God knows DC, one of its biggest oh, yeah. problems is they have a particularly malignant corner of internet fandom, which is unfortunate. But, you know, there, there are bad corners of every fandom Mm -hmm. it's it's you know it's it's an unfortunate thing but it does tend to be you know as you say it's the internet it's anonymity it's that kind of shroud of secrecy that lets people lash out at people and chris you were just at mcm comic con uh, a few days ago right i was i was yeah that's absolutely right and again it's exactly the same thing you know it's it's the reason why i hope to get back to no disrespect intended proper comic con the one in san diego <laughs> at, at some point yeah. because it, it's just extraordinary being there at the xl even just for a few hours and even if you're largely confined to backstage when you do get to wander around uh, and you see the people and it just the, the the acceptance and the togetherness and the and the and the love uh, that's and the on cosplay. display and the cosplay is astonishing and it's you know when you go to these things and especially now it's becoming more and more apparent to me that there's stuff that I'm just not aware of uh, <laughs> on, a, on a sort of geek cultural level there's a lot of anime cosplay out there mm. that just completely goes over my head but it's so good to be at these places where it's such a safe space and there is no judgement and you can be absolutely yourself and I, I kind of feel envious of a lot of these people and I've, I've thought this ever since I went to my first Comic Con back in 2003 because yes folks I am that fucking old <laughs> I go to these things cosplaying as a, an increasingly overweight journalist but you know one day I'd love to do it I'd love to do it like actually properly embrace it and go there and do the cosplay because some of it's just staggering but yeah. it's such a great such a great place and Star Wars Celebration is such a great event to go to and I, you know uh, I would have loved to have been there to see things like the, the Hayden Christensen and the acceptance that you know and, and the love that is now going his way and you know, I talk about this in the spoiler specials about how Attack of the Clones has been rehabilitated. Not entirely by me. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm still not at five stars yet. Um, but, you know, it is great to see it kind of swinging around again. And uh, Celebration was kind of responsible for, for quite a bit of news that popped out last week, uh, towards the end of last week. Um, Lucasfilm obviously have a big, big presence, as you might expect, mm-hmm. at a Star Wars event. And part of Lucasfilm's slate is Indiana Jones 5 and we got the first image from Indiana Jones 5 uh, last week and it didn't really tell us a lot in that it was an image of Indiana Jones played by Harrison Ford and he was shrouded in shadow Hmm. but it also maybe told us something or suggested something because the fact that we didn't see his face I think is very interesting there are lots of rumours about this movie there are rumors that it might involve time travel. There are rumors that it might involve a de-aged Indiana Jones, at least for a significant part of it. And I'm wondering mm. if the fact that we didn't see his face might be because they're still working on it. Ooh, I did, this is the first time hearing of this. This is very now. These these there, there are rumors. There's yeah. nothing concrete, but I'm just saying yeah. there are rumors and the fact that this didn't explicitly go here is. 80-something, he's 80, he's 80 now, isn't he? Harrison Ford, he's just turned 80, or he's about to turn 80, or 107, whatever he is. Uh, <laughs> you know, here is Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. In fact, it didn't do that. 
mm-hmm. means that there's there's ground for speculation there, I think. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I, If there is a de-aged element to it, I hope that it's not for the bulk of it. Because I feel like part mm-hmm. of the joy of this particular Indiana Jones film is Harrison Ford's last ride. It would be a shame if Harrison Ford's last ride as this, as this character is him being de-aged for a significant part of it. I think. Yeah, also you have, you'll have the problem that you have with the Irishman where someone looks young but they still move like an old man. <laughs> yes. And that, it's very disconcerting. <laughs> oh, yes it is. Especially in a film that. like this which is, let's be honest, going to be slightly more physical than the Irishman yeah. uh, unless he literally paints houses. I think you're going to, yeah, maybe he does. Uh, but yeah, if they did go down that road, you could easily have a, a body double doing that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. But then at, that, at what point then do you just not need Harrison Ford and mm-hmm. it's just, you're going full face mapping and, oh, you know? Well, listen, there's all speculation, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying that I, to me it was interesting that the poster didn't show his face. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And let's not take any of that as gospel. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's interesting. Uh, and there was lots of stuff that came out of Celebration as well. You know, revelations that the first season of Andor is going to be 12 episodes long. Either or. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be 12 episodes long for example there was lots of talk about Mandalorian season well, 3 and Andor 12 episodes long and they're doing a second season second season and it's just like that's 24 episodes of Andor which to be honest feels like a threat oh come it, on yeah I'm, did you not like Rogue One? I know I, I, I think Andor feels like Rogue One with all the good characters removed that's my oh. worry about it but you know we'll see you didn't like Diego Luna and Rogue One? I, I, I would say Andor is maybe <laughs> the, if certainly not one of the most forgettable characters in all of Star Wars. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. I think one of the issues with Rogue One, which is which is a, a good, solid Star Wars movie, is that its, two, it's two leads <laughs> are less memorable mm. than the supporting cast. Yeah, like K2SO, I've got loads of time for him. Yeah. Like, I thought Alan Tudyk was really funny mm. in that. You know. Donnie Yen. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm with the Force and the Force. 100%, 100%. But I felt Andor as a character was super bland. Well, maybe this will help unbland it. Precisely. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe they, maybe they will Maybe they will make it work. You probably covered this on the Pilot TV podcast, mm-hmm. Jimbo, mm-hmm. but uh, Jodie Foster is going to star in True Detective Season Indeed. 4. We did mention it. It's exciting times. It makes me almost consider watching True Detective again, so that's good. <laughs> but not quite. No, I will. I will not 100% quite. watch this one. Uh, obviously, Season 1 was amazing. Season 2 was lamentable. Season 3 was an improvement, but I still didn't watch all of it. But luckily, I can start fresh with this because it's an anthology, so it's all good. Oh, yeah, I need to catch up with that. Season two was the Mahershala Ali. It one, was, right? yeah, and he was really yeah. good in it. Mm. Mahershala Ali always brings it. True. Blade man, blazer, 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 blazer. I accept full responsibility for that. Um, <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Uh, Rachel Zegler, yeah, is has been cast in <laughs> Amon slows down as he looks up the name of the character <laughs> let's be honest Lucy Gray Baird it was right on the top of my tongue yeah. James okay Gosh. the ballad of songbirds and snakes this yeah. is the Hunger Games prequel initially the Hunger Games prequel I just kind of shrugged at it and didn't think it was I mean no film was necessary but I think the Hunger Games prequel I was like okay, we're really going back to this again but I'm such a big fan of Rachel Zegler incredible in West Side Story already on a ridiculous career trajectory, yeah. trajectory and she's only what like 20 years old it's insane but yeah her talent being attached to this has me infinitely more interested than I was 
Yes, yeah. you didn't have my curiosity. <laughs> now you have some of my attention. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. She was by far the least tedious thing in my side story. So I'm, oh. I'm, I'm yeah. Helen's not here. Helen, uh, Helen's on a, an actual holiday. But <laughs> you can hear me. I can hear her shouting. You know, the, you know that scene in Snatch where Dennis Farina travels from America to England and it's all done in a series of really quick. Yeah, yeah, that's Helen right play. now. She's going to come through that door in any second. You say one more fucking Get worried about West Side Story. I'll she's on my now. You see, she's she's going like, I feel something terrible has happened. Like, <laughs> millions of voices cried out in terror. And we're suddenly yeah. silent. And a million yeah. jets were suddenly silenced. Yeah. I'm just such a big fan of hers. Obviously, we got to speak to her for uh, Empire 500, which was fantastic. Um, I'm now intrigued. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It's actually not a lot of news this week. Well, especially not given when this podcast is going out and when we're true. recording it. We are so. recording it on Sunday morning. <laughs> 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 no, we're recording that Wednesday afternoon. Um, mm. And there's probably going to be tons of tons of news happening between now and Friday. But if there is, we're not really going to be in a position to do much about it. Yeah. It's like it's pretty much like the end of the thing. <laughs> you know, we're we're sitting here freezing to death. Yeah. And if there, if either of us do have any surprises for each other, I'm not sure any of us are in any condition to do anything about it. Fair. So that's pretty much where we are. Uh, we should talk as well about how brilliantly Top Gun Maverick did at the box office. Yeah, did make some money. Wow. Good. So I mean, we, 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 should, we should talk about it. We yeah. should talk about it. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. it made loads of money, which is lovely. But also, I think, you know, necessary because I think one of the big takeaways from that is not just that it's a brilliant film, which it oh, is, really but it's that it is a specifically cinematic experience. It's the kind of thing where, you know, a significant portion of that film's impact will be lost on the small screen like you've got yeah. to see it in a cinema like if you see no other film apart from June Part 2 but then that's not out this year so <laughs> <laughs> if you can go into forward in time and watch June Part 2 then do that but uh, if you if you watch nothing else this year you know watch this and Avatar The Way of Water <laughs> in cinemas nah um, <laughs> absolutely right in terms of the Top Gun Maverick watching the cinema bit the, the other stuff you know your mind is way better um, but yeah now I absolutely love this film and I completely agree this was worth delaying just check my notes 370 years. times <laughs> <laughs> yeah they delayed it and delayed it and delayed it but it was absolutely worth it because seeing this film in IMAX for the first time as it was meant to be seen was something else like one of yeah. the most euphoric punch the air oh. cinema mm. experiences that I've had in recent times it was that good um, so yeah I'm glad that people are going to the cinema in droves and experiencing exactly that I think the uh, real test is going to be this weekend, see whether it has legs. I think it will have legs. I think it's going to have very impressive legs, which for a movie about planes is is no mean feat. Uh, but it made something like $151 million in the States over the uh, four-day weekend. It was the Memorial Day weekend, mm -hmm. which is kind of traditionally the launch of the summer blockbuster season uh, in the States. Uh, and that is by far the biggest opening of Tom Cruise's career, which is kind of weird because he is... I would say the biggest movie star on the planet and has been for 36 years, essentially since the first Top Gun. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, there are movie stars in that time who have been bigger than Tom Cruise. You know, obviously your 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 Will Smiths, your your Leonardo DiCaprio's, your Tom Hanks's, people like that. But in terms of sheer consistency, mm -hmm. Cruise is pretty much unchallenged, I would say. And yet, he's never had a billion dollar grocer. Hmm. He's never had a $100 million opening weekend until now. 
It's been really interesting. He's never really had that big, powerful box office smash. Like the biggest film he'd had previously to this was Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm. And I think if this does well, holds well, it'll do well. And I think Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is going to probably even do better than this when it it opens next year. But Top Gun Maverick seems to have really tapped into a couple of things. One, a desire for people to get back in the cinema to see something that is must-see, which we saw worked with Spider-Man No Way Home, which we saw worked to an extent with Dune Part 1. Um... And no time to die. To you know, and where I think the, the the confidence was coming back tentatively. Now I think it's back. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of back to where we were pre-pandemic in terms of people's willingness to go to the cinema. I think there's obviously a, a, the reviews have been astonishing for this thing, so people want to see it. It's been hailed as a cinematic experience. You have to go and see it. Uh, and three, there's the nostalgia factor. I've I've seen loads of reports on on Twitter of people who love the first Top Gun. You're now taking their kids and grown men hugging each other and crying <laughs> at certain points during the movie. It's 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 it feels to me that this could be a big one going forward. Which leads me to ask, and I, I posted this on Twitter the other day, that I feel that this might be. I don't. It's not going to win, but I feel that this might be this year's Mad Max Fury Road and take a Best Picture nomination. Ooh, I'm I'm not sure about that. I'm with them on. Yeah, as much as I love it. Honestly, the best picture nomination that I'm pulling for is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And it I, should win no, right now. I'm <laughs> not saying that yeah, I'm I saying that should I be nominated too. Yeah, yeah, no. I reckon yeah. that actually has probably more of a chance. But. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't obviously hate it if, if it did. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't see it. I think it will. I think it'll, I think it'll get nominated as uh, A, a big comeback story, B, a big success story, uh, C, a really, really great example of just doing something like this as practically as you possibly can. I mean, you know, it's, it was an astonishing achievement from a practical point of view. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, it's a great piece of action filmmaking. I, and I think if it does, if it sticks around, I think it, I think it might get nominated. I'm not saying it'll win. It won't mm. win. But uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. We had a trailer this week. Pinocchio. Exactly right. Okay. What was it like? I didn't watch it. It's okay. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Yeah, no. Thanks um, for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the good thing about this Pinocchio, I guess, for them is that they have a few months on. Remember, going. I know of your line. <laughs> what? Because your your nose will grow. It's a Pinocchio joke. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> Pinocchio had a trailer. Yes, this week. And the good thing about it is that this movie has a few months on the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, the stop motion Pinocchio, which is releasing on Netflix around Christmas time. And this is the Robert Zemeckis, Tom Hanks uh, version. And yeah, Tom Hanks is on a bit of a roll right now. He's obviously just starred in Elvis, which we'll be talking about over a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it looks like he's going to make a really cool uh, Geppetto. I I like some of the visuals uh, in this trailer as well. I, I am intrigued. All right. Okay. Looking forward to that. The cast is really solid as well. You've got Cynthia. I'm sure they are. One of them's made of wood. <laughs> you got Cynthia Avivo, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Luke Evans. All good people. I like these people. Bloody Luke Evans. Bloody Luke Evans. <laughs> bloody, bloody Luke Evans. Exciting stuff. Pinocchio coming soon. Yeah. Uh, all right, we should finish off with some very, very sad news, which broke last week uh, because we recorded last week's podcast early again. And then on the Thursday came the very, very sad news that the great Ray Liotta 
had passed away at the age of 67. And we tried, we were, the reason we recorded last week's podcast early was we were really up against the schedule wise. We looked at our schedules. We were trying desperately to make it work. We could, we could find time to get back into the pod booth to talk about Ray Liotta and talk about some other news stories that had broken in the interim. And uh, honestly, we just didn't have the time. So uh, if you heard last week's podcast, I said we would push it to this week to talk about Ray Liotta and give him the, the send off that frankly, he deserves because his was an incredible career filled with some amazing, indelible performances. 67 is absolutely no age, passed away in his sleep. Just a great, great actor. Yeah. Now, some of the uh, films on his filmography are just incredible. Filled the Dreams with Kevin Costner, obviously, but Go- Goodfellas is the one that's probably the most memorable role. Think about how much charm. Uh, he puts uh, into that role and the nuance as well. It's one of those roles where you can rewatch it endlessly and find something new. He's a one of one actor. I can't wait to revisit some some of some of. I can't wait to revisit more of his work in the wake of his passing. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, Copland, so many things, so many things that he's been. He he could do that kind of like crazed manic thing so brilliantly, and he was really intimidating in some of these roles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a genuinely great actor. Uh, you know, I mean, not all of the films he were in great, like Smoke and Aces. Obviously, his flaw. <laughs> hey, I love his performance. Whoa, 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 I got time whoa, for that whoa, film. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I got time for that film. Okay, whoa. okay. The, fuck did I that from? <laughs> you know? the man was in Date Night. Like he's done some great stuff. <laughs> Hang on, you, you come up to Smoke and Aces and then you hold up Date Night. Okay. Hey, Date Night is a fucking classic. <laughs> Smoke and Aces, not so much. Mm. Uh, uh, I, think about I, I the will... range that he has as well. You've got the Many Saints of Newark, which yes. is but then you yes. also have stuff like Marriage Story as well. Mm. Well, if you talk about the Many Saints of Newark, which I actually think was the last time I saw him on Definitely, the big screen, because yeah. mm. you and I saw it together, yeah. and he plays mm. twin roles in that, which mm. I didn't mm. know. Did you know that before Not we went into in. it? No. Yeah. <laughs> so he plays twin roles in that, and he's really good, and both of them is like, yeah. you know, they're completely antithetical. Hollywood Dick, and then yeah. his brother. Mm. Yeah, who's who's very chilled and very sane, and Hollywood Dick is 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 not that. So he's the father of Dickie Moldesanti in, in that. He's mm-hmm. so good, and he was having this bit of a bit of a, a, a renaissance, uh, a renaissance, if you will. Um, <laughs> and he was just, he was a really intense actor, but he had a, a good sense of humor. I never met him, but I know the people who have spoken to him who said that he was a really sharp, straight ahead dude. You know, who um, called it like he saw it, had a good sense of humor about himself and his work. Uh, but you look at that, you look at that filmography and it's incredible. I don't know whether you guys have seen Jonathan Demme's Something Wild, which is just an amazing, amazing movie. And he kind of exploded onto the scene in that as one of the most terrifying bad guys you will, you will ever see, you know, Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith, and he plays Melanie Griffith's wild, psychotic ex. And that really put him on the map. And, you know, then he plays Field of Dreams and he's, again, the antithesis of that. And he's actually kind of, you know, there's a little twinkle to the eye in that one that, you know, maybe shows that he's, you know, he could be a bad one, but, you know, or he, or he could have naughty tendencies, shall we say. But he's playing very much an all-American icon in that, uh, uh, albeit a uh, sort of figment of someone's imagination or a ghost, if you will. But that's fine. Copland, he is great in mm-hmm. Copland. I love that movie so much mm-hmm. it is 25 years old this year you know one of Stallone's best performances one mm-hmm. of uh, but one of Liotta's best performances as well in, in many many ways he is the I wouldn't say the heart of that movie because Stallone's the heart of that movie but he's the conscience of that movie in a, in a weird way there are great movies littered all the way through his career Killing Them Softly 
is mm. a, is a fantastic film and he's he's great in it. Uh, also, Date Night, the aforementioned Date Night, but it all comes back to Goodfellas. It all comes it back does. to Henry Hill. Uh, and someone made a really good point the other day when they were when they were eulogizing Ray Liotta on Twitter, which is. You know, yeah, the obvious stuff about that movie, which is you have these incredible performances of Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Paul Serafino, and they just in the cast is stacked in that thing. And yet he holds his own, not just holds his own, he is dynamite in that. And he is so utterly authentic and and sparky and charming, but also menacing. And there's just something about the performance that just you can't take your eyes off him even when the guy who wins the Oscar for playing the famously, you know, the famous jack-in-the-box psychopath, you know, Joe Pesci, even when he's on screen. If you're watching the, you know, uh, you know funny how scene, watch Ray Liotta in that yeah. scene because he's mesmerizing in that scene as well. Oh, the way, he, so the way he pulls off that kind of like nervous laughter, clearly shitting himself. And yeah. the way he, like, he does these emotional contortions in his face yeah. just as that scene mm. progresses. And then that perfect sort of grace note to it which is the oh it's all a joke and he's laughing he's laughing and then his laugh just kind of slightly tails off in that kind of like ha, 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 ha. like yeah. this is not fucking funny yeah mm. absolutely so good he's so good and you know there's so much in that movie that's iconic as far back as I could remember I always wanted to be a gangster mm. uh, you know the the end where he gets up and addresses the camera it's so fucking great. The performance is amazing. The sweaty paranoia of Henry Hill's <laughs> coke-fueled uh, coke nightmare, which is just tremendous. Uh, but as someone pointed out on Twitter, the thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that that performance is so filled with voiceover. It is absolutely, you know, it, it breaks every rule in the book, everything you're told not to do as a, as a budding screenwriter, which is, you know, largely never write voiceover. And Goodfellas goes, fuck you. <laughs> well, I'm going to write as much voiceover as I possibly can. And he is perfect he nails it so perfectly i was thinking about this the other day on the on the poster the iconic poster some posters i think have paul serfino on it as as paulie but mostly the poster on, on of goodfellas is the three of them de niro pesci and, and liotta and he's the first to go mm. of the three of them and that just made me sad but he's he was an amazing actor and i'm sure we all have our, our particular favorites oh god i've just completely you know forgotten identity because yeah. he, he worked with he worked with a, a number of actors who so Copland he works with Jim Mangold who of course directed or uh, is directing Indiana Jones 5 mm -hmm. and then they made after Copland they made a really nasty little thriller really fun nasty little thriller called Identity it's a murder mystery thing set in a motel with John Cusack and a really really great cast and he's great in that also so mm. you know if you're looking for something that's maybe slightly slightly off the beaten path then maybe check out Identity but otherwise wallow in Goodfellas wallow in Something <laughs> Wild wallow in Copland wallow in The Many Saints of Newark or Operation Dumble Drop if you wish to <laughs> you can do that as well uh, and just raise uh, a glass whatever's in that glass is entirely up to you to the great Ray Liotta who passed away at the age of 67 mm. alright should we have uh, this week's guest let's Let's do it. Uh, all right. So a couple of years ago, during the pandemic, we were all very, very low and feeling very, very sorry for ourselves. And then a film dropped on Shudder called Host, which was about 56 minutes long. Uh, and frankly, if it had been a minute longer, it would not have worked. 56 minutes is the perfect length. Host was a, a, a horror film made on the cheap, relative cheap, by the British filmmaker Rob Savage uh, and his co-writers Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley. And if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. Basic premise is five girls have a seance over Zoom. A demon gets into the seance, 
and things go horribly awry. It was one of the most effective and terrifying horror films I've seen in a long, long time. And it put Rob Savage on the map. In fact, he and Shepard and Hurley are back. They they moved very, very quickly uh, when that movie was on. In the bloom of their success, they moved on very, very quickly to make another movie, which is similar but different at the same time. And it is another found footage movie, uh, another short one. It's about an hour long. It's called Dashcam. And it stars the podcaster and musician and provocateur, if you will, Annie Hardy as a version of herself who comes to London in the middle of the pandemic and wreaks havoc in someone's life. And uh, while she's going AWOL, she finds herself picking up uh, an elderly lady who seems to be in the grip of something malevolent shall we say. And from there, it all goes horribly awry. And the reason the film is called Dashcam is because it's largely shot through Annie Hardy's Dashcam because she does live concerts while she's driving. That's kind of, you know, one of the things that she does in real life through something called Band Car. And it is a rip-roaring, gore-filled, shocking ride. And last week, I had the chance to speak to Annie Hardy and her co-star, Umar Chada Patel and Rob Savage, all three of them together. Now, this is a raucous and, at times, racy interview. Uh, so, you know, this interview's been classified 18. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, shall we? Uh, here we go. Rob, Annie and Omar, do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director and the stars of Dashcam, Rob Savage, Annie Hardy and Amar Jada Patel. How the devil are you all? Very well. How are you, Chris? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I've just seen Dashcam, as I was just saying to you guys off air, uh, and I, uh, I'm i still trying to recover. Not from the, all the fun bits, but the gore and the jumping and the shrieks and the violence, all that sort of stuff. I'm mm. trying to recover from the, the credits, which I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. It's yeah. astonishing. Uh, it, so not to spoil things too much for people, the credits of Dashcam involve Annie driving around LA, I presume, Annie? Yes. Okay, excellent. Uh, and kind of doing what you do in band car, which is making up songs with people's names, only it's the crew and the cast of the movie. And it's <laughs> the most glorious filth. Uh, so <laughs> I remember the uh, disclaimer coming through and be like, Annie's going to wrap your name in the credits. Are you okay with that? I was like, I, I, by the time, by this point, I don't care. Let's go. <laughs> no one is safe. You can't say no. no. Otherwise, you're such a puss. Cause, and you'll spend the rest of your life wondering what I would have said. <laughs> that can haunt you. Originally, I was doing like cute, nice things. Sorry, I live under the Burbank airport flight path here. Um, so I was doing like cute ones with them, like for change, because I, remembered everybody's roles and stuff like and and making like little inside jokes and rob uh told me you know just be as nasty as you <laughs> I was like, okay i can do that that's that's my you know that's second nature that's for usp yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we we there's so many so many things said about jason blum and his various family members oh my that god we need to destroy that footage because none of us would ever work again. We'd be found floating dead in a pool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if Jason Blum, of course, is he's famously parsimonious. I mean, his movies cost no more than $5 million. So I have to think if Jason Blum were to have you killed, he wouldn't hire a hitman. He'd try and do it himself. Yeah. yeah. 
get a hammer out. That'd be, that'd be a great movie. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> do you think he'd be a good hitman, Jason Blum? Do you think he'd be efficient? He's quite a high profile, but yeah. Yeah, I reckon <laughs> so. I reckon he's seen so. enough weird movies to get the inspiration to do it that he could probably get away with it. <laughs> but listen, uh, Rob, where did that idea come from to have the, the credits? It. Yeah. Uh, originally, it was like to show, you know, there's lots of special effects in the movie, but I wanted people... I wanted people to see that the one, the one thing that wasn't a special effect was Annie and her like spon- her spontaneous wit, and that she actually does this. She drives around and, and makes these incredible like twenty minute long, continuous raps. And so the original idea was that it would be a, like a ten minute single take of her rapping the credits in real time. And and I went I went to LA and me and Annie drove around. And Annie like stayed up all night to get in this weird frazzled headspace and did this incredible like eight minute long take. There's like most of what you see in the film is that because um, I just wanted people to see like there's no there's no strings. It's just this is what it is. And then Jason saw it and was like, this is the best part of the movie. You've got to make this even longer. And <laughs> and and uh, and. I, and we had, I don't know if we did it on purpose or, or not out of fear, but we didn't sing anything about Jason Blum on the first one. He was like, I want Annie to sing my name. He looked me in the eyes and said, she needs to sing my name. <laughs> Amazing. So you went back and did reshoots. Uh, uh, we just drove around for days on end. After shooting. fashion. Amazing. Uh, Amar, what did, what did uh, Annie sing about you? I, I can't quite remember. Was it palatable? She, um, you were pretty kind to me. You definitely yeah. dropped the, I think you dropped the word willow in there, didn't you? I said, I'm going to tell you what, there's a willow in your butt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> obviously a lot of chat about my butt generally in the film, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you dropped, you dropped the willow bomb before it was officially announced. So you oh my the movie hadn't come out officially. So does it really count? Disney's that's true. That's true. Running. Yeah. We thought it was going to come out earlier and that you were going to get me murdered by Disney. <laughs> there's still time. <laughs> There's still time. Yeah. I find it awfully suspicious that, that both of y'all, Rob and Amma, are both working for Disney right now. I think everyone works for Disney. <laughs> I guess technically now that Fox is owned by Disney or did, did yeah. Yeah. yeah, right? Not yeah. the other yeah. way around. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I'm not talking shit. I love Disney. So do I. And not because I'm contracted to say it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I've we been to this. Disneyland. <laughs> I have not. So I, I need to do that. How was it? How was Disneyland, Annie? What was what was your last time? When was the last time you were there? Oh, the last time I went was not so great. I think my boyfriend at the time broke up with me at Disneyland, which is like, Oof, you don't a, do that here. What a choice. Okay? This is not the place for that. This is like Disneyland, man. That's one um, step below the Eiffel Tower. Right. So this was a deliberate thing that he had done. He'd planned this clearly to take you to Disneyland, then dump you, or was it the spur of the moment? It wasn't premeditated. He was just <laughs> like an idiot. You know, I was 19. It was like the year 2000. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Rob, were you even born yet? 2000. Yeah, were, 2000. No, I was still a fetus then. <laughs> yeah. No. The year 2000, Rob, was uh, it was a year that took place about 22 years ago. It was it was glorious. <laughs> it was an absolute riot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The countdown of five years left. Before the world starts to turn. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so glad that I've got the three of you here as well, because uh, credits aside, you know, I've, I've read up about how you made this movie and it is such a unique, intense, improvisational 
experience uh, where the three of you really worked very, very, very closely together. And I just wanted to get you, you know, to ask you about that and what, what that was like. Well, it was, I mean, the film, the film was built around Annie and Bancar, which she really does. And like, I didn't actually meet Annie until about two weeks before the film started. I just, I'd zoomed with her a couple of times and I'd watched a bunch of Bancar. But, you know, but we, we went into this pretty fast after Host. We shot this in 2020, winter of 2020, same year we, we made Host. And, you know, the only reason I kind of confidently went into doing another improvised movie is because because I saw Bancar and I was like, oh, Annie can totally carry us on this film. You know, she's got such a kind of spontaneity and wit about her that, uh, that I can really lean on her for the improv. And then Amma was... Uh, I'm as a friend of all the host crew. So we, we kind of had always wanted to, tr- to do something together. And then off the back of host, you know, we got this opportunity to do another movie and, and we kind of built it around the idea of like, I'm and Annie in a car together. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, and, you know, and, and that's to say really that like, I only met Annie a couple of weeks before, before shooting. And so she was kind of stepping into this role that we'd written for her. It wasn't really based in, wasn't really based in, in knowing her at all. So Annie was kind of coming in and we were figuring, figuring each other out as we made the film and figuring out the whole process. And we, and also it was the first time we'd been in the same room as other people for months and months and months. So it was a very mm. bizarre time. Uh, Annie, what made you say yes to this? This is a fairly wild pitch. It is. Well, my friend Jed Shepard, one of the writers on the film, had been saying for years, like, I want to make a band car horror film. And I thought he was just like full of shit, like everybody else who says that they want to do something, you know, like, oh, I have an idea that's never going to come to fruition. And then shockingly, all of a sudden, I'm like on a Zoom call with him and Rob. And I'm like, oh, this still isn't going to happen, you know, And because it's like it is kind of unthinkable to just have someone call you one day like, hey, we're going to make a horror film. You're the main character. And it's based on kind of your life but kind of not really and i don't know it was weird and then rob had me do this like um like live periscope as often as i possibly could to this private channel for him to watch and get a better idea that sounds sordid it does does, yeah Um, i had to do mine naked (laughs) yeah yeah but it was clear that like you know i almost backed out twice Full disclosure because I was like man these people are going to make me seem like a piece of shit like this kind of sucks like you know like I don't want to be using my name and then feel like a piece of shit and all these idiots of the world have to like discern this gray area between reality and you know fiction but then you know Rob just basically coerced me and well I think I think I called you up and I was like I was like Annie Everyone in this movie is a piece of shit. Um was a piece of shit. Absolutely. Angela was a piece of shit. Like, I think, uh, <laughs> is, I, th- I think that's, that's the truth. That's definitely my taste is to, is to have a movie and populate it with people who are all totally awful. Thanks, man. Yeah, but that said, nobody afterwards, like on Twitter, said, like, Amma should die. You know, nobody said Angela should die. Nobody thought Angela was a real demon even, you know. But it's like with me. They're like, hey, something about this is like real, you know. I just needed a job. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the yeah. nudity, which well, <laughs> that was... never made it to the film, so I don't really know why I did it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, host was remarkable, and I had this glorious, uh, unique opportunity to watch it happen 
as as it was coming to life through a group of friends and then not be part of it and so observe it from afar and see it happening because i was shooting in europe at the time mm-hmm. when it came out and just saw this thing come to life so i immediately wanted to work with rob and jed and Gemma and the whole team um and then i have been a director and a production designer in my past as well and a musician and just the, the idea of improvising a film and self-shooting it to a degree because it was live you know live streamed on a phone mm-hmm. just felt like the most exciting challenge for any performer these guys really like are the cinematographers and the production. I forget designers. about that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean that that was that was a lot of the joy of it was, was that often on on the ground it could really only be myself, Annie, Rob, and Doug, our producer, and then Ben running around like a blue ass fly with a boom stick, trying as hard as possible not to be in the shot that we would always find him. It was okay. Everyone would just hit the deck and we just start spinning around wherever we were. And, and no one was safe because everything was fair, fair game. It was the only it, people we didn't get in the shots were each other. Yeah. yeah most <laughs> of the time. I'm like very tall and I'm like average. And so yeah. it would always be like, yeah, the biggest challenge for me was getting myself out of frame. Cause I'm, I feel like that's my job. And Rob would just come back and be like, no, it's, it's a good tape, but I see, I'm seeing too much of you. <laughs> I was like, I'm down. I'm down. yeah, he was like, no, just crop your face out, just get like half just your chin. Comes in. <laughs> yeah, make it more <laughs> lower. lower. Yeah, lower <laughs> down. down. The waist down only. Yeah, yeah. If it was up to me, that would be the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's an utterly unique experience. I, I've never heard of a film being done like that and do, and getting a chance to do it like that. It was. I don't think people will really appreciate the amount of work that went into making it seem completely on the fly and because um, it you know it was self-shot yeah. by us but the rigs and there's some of the stuff we achieved and these guys did is mind-blowing there's probably a reason that movies aren't made like that <laughs> yeah probably yeah because it's so <laughs> so hard <laughs> yeah it's ridiculously complex and then you guys have to uh you're improvising as well mm. in the minute in in the moment and then the camera work is frenetic at times but also has to be precise so, you know, you have to reveal things at the right moment and, and make it not seem like you're setting it up. That's fucking difficult. How did you how did you do that? How, was it just tons and tons of takes or are you just naturally amazing at that sort of stuff? We're just naturally amazing. Yeah. No, liar. Rob has to do so many takes. And I feel like I'm like a first take Jake. Yeah, you know? me too, actually. <laughs> it's always the best. It's all downhill from me. No, no. The thing, the great thing about Annie is that you can't like if you if you say if you do take one, and you're like, yeah, do the same thing. We just tweak this one little thing. You can't do like no. every single take Annie does would be totally different. She'd Agreed. be interested in a different thing. You'd improvise a totally different thing. So like, I I have to do twenty takes because I ne- would never know what you'd say on the next one, and it might be <laughs> old. And usually it was. Yeah. The curse of being so unique. But like also if we were doing it regular movie style, like I would probably be terrible at something like that because like I don't really understand the direction that Rob's giving me. Like like in some ways I'm like I have a hyper like like a mind that like moves in a way that other people's doesn't. And then when I have to do like to like understand normal things or like make the bed in the morning you know it's just like it's really difficult for me so what sort of direction was he giving you Annie um I can't remember now at this point but it would be like just like just like 
like I would have to remember this like choreography of like this is going to happen and then you do this and then the camera a lot of camera whipping yeah needed to that, happen so that Rob could put hidden cuts hidden cuts a lot of yeah there was a lot of hidden cut but like not making it look like a hidden cut yeah right but oh, I think yeah. you're underselling yourself because I think actually there's a few scenes that you just had to do one thing and you weren't able to to lean on dick jokes and like you were just amazing like the scene where you're the scene where you're hiding under the in the uh water tunnel and you have to mm. do the Blair Witch moment where you have a little breakdown like we did that was that's like a proper, that was a proper easy, scene. though there was no acting required because like it I was like low key being tortured. It, it was 1 a.m. in a sewer in like where Norfolk or something like that. Norfolk. And it's like, and for this scene where I crawl out of the river, it's like I was, it was snowing and all my clothes were wet. And so I was really crying. And like in the mirror maze, like Rob was hitting with Oh, yeah, that was terrifying. And I was really scared. So it's like, and and when we're in the backseat of the car and Angela's doing this oh thing. Oh my God, that was chaos. That was chaos. And I was actually scared and really thought we were getting in a car accident. Yeah. Nobody yeah, told was, me. Because there was a funny guy who, <laughs> the car yeah, was the being driven by a little, little mm-hmm. man on the top of the car in a little pod. And you would just forget that there was a man controlling the car. And I would yeah. just be swerving left, right and center. <laughs> I don't think I told you guys that they were going to head right for the other car and just no. run out of the way at the last you minute. Didn't. You didn't tell yeah. us that at all. No, we didn't think there was going to be another car. There were a lot of those cheeky little surprises, Rob. <laughs> I mean, my, my character loses a shoe pretty early on in the film. So yeah. for the most part of two months, I was sh- shoeless in like December. And mm. they would have to keep rushing me off of, I mean, I'd say set, but I'm talking a field. Like we'd be shooting in the middle of, Suffolk at, at like one in the morning and they'd have to rush me into a tent with heaters because my foot would just be steaming. <laughs> <laughs> that was cold. That wasn't that was Doug's idea to have you take the, the sock off. He was like, wouldn't it be funny if I almost stood on a hypodermic needle? I was like, yeah, that would be funny. Thanks, Doug. But so went in the movie. Well, Doug's got COVID right now, so I guess we know karma. On him. So karma has finally caught up with him, is that what you're saying? Mm. Yeah. Again, he gave me COVID at London Film Fest, coughed directly into my face. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I remember. It. Yeah. Shit. What with uh, with with forethought and malice, or was it an accident? No, it was actually the day after London Film Fest, and then Amazing. he did a dry cough. I was we were at his house, and he dry coughed like right into my face. And I said, don't cough on me with that COVID cough, man. And and sure enough, three days later, the death had settled in on me. Yeah. Right after Rob and I went to Sitches in Spain and probably infected half the country. <laughs> Sorry, we tested. We were negative though. Yeah, yeah. that's how it gets you. But Annie, have you got the uh, the bug, not the COVID bug, but the, um, the, the filmmaking bug? Oh. Okay. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like doing it. I, I, think this was, <laughs> I think this was such a unique um, opportunity. I mean, look, I've been in a couple movies before. I was in the Spike Jones short film and this mm-hmm. other movie, The Icarus Line Must Die. And all of them I'm playing myself. So I get that I have a certain character acting thing, but um, I can't imagine, like, you know, dressing up in a Renaissance piece. You know, and and like, you know, I can't imagine doing that. 
Would I do dash cam too? Yes, I would do that for sure. Wow. Despite the, the torture and the cold and the Englishness? Be tortured. So it works out really well. It's like a S&M dungeon on wheels for three months in England. It's like, bring it on. That's my resting state is being tortured by British people. That's such a great tagline. An S&M, an S&M dungeon on wheels. Yeah. <laughs> That's the ideal immersive theatre experience. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. And uh, and uh, obviously, Robin and Amar, you're, you're, you're pretty busy working on more things um, and very, very exciting things. Rob, what's the, what's the latest on The Boogeyman? We, uh, we've wrapped, we're editing. It's, uh, it, it, it looks like a movie. It's going to be a good movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I didn't fuck it up. I think it's going to be really good. We, got a, we had like such an amazing crew and cast and it's very, very different from, from, from Dashcam, just as Dashcam is very different from Host. So it's, it's hopefully going to surprise people. Yeah, and presumably not 100% faithful to the short story, which is very short. It's yeah, we've kind of we've kind of built the mythology out in a way that um that, that yeah that, that's that's uh, what can I say what can I say without getting assassinated um we built the, we built the mythology out in our own way but uh King King read the script was really positive about it is 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 in full support so so long as I'm fucked up the shooting a bit I think we've got a good <laughs> a good movie that's the dream if Stephen King is in support of anything you do that's the dream yeah absolutely. Well, and uh, and Amar, you you're you've shot Willow. Willow is ready to 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 go. Yeah, it should be a trailer dropping any moment. A teaser trailer. It's right up my butt. And um, <laughs> I just did Gareth Edwards' new feature in Thailand, which is all kinds of crazy. I, uh, the world is not ready for that. Similarly to Dashcam, the shooting star. I'm going to say, <laughs> yeah, like Gareth's style. I mean, I can't say too much, but but yeah, yeah he's he's a, he's an actor's director for sure. And we were just running around Thailand with cameras, tiny cameras, big lenses, shooting all sorts of chaos. Um, so yeah, exciting stuff coming. I love Gareth Edwards. I cannot wait to see that movie. Uh, does, does, that, does that movie, and in fact, does the Boogeyman finish with uh, someone rapping your names for six minutes? Yeah, yeah that's I'll do it. Now. I'm available for hire. If- <laughs> Annie, seriously, you should do this for every fucking movie that comes out from now on. <laughs> I kind of agree, man. Yeah. I would love like, to. Because then we all have to sit through a credit sequence now because of some sort of post-credits trailer. Might as well make them really fun. Absolutely. You know, just stick it on a Marvel movie with the yeah. most unspeakable filth. I, and I would uh, love I'm to there. see Annie wrap the credits of a Marvel film in a way that would be acceptable. That would be really unique. Steven Spielberg. I, the things I could rhyme with that name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you guys go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, but I think we should stop before we um, get ourselves killed. Yeah, good <laughs> Thanks, idea. <Chris. laughs> Amazing. Thanks very much. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that was Rob Savage, Umar Jada Patel, and Annie Hardy. And Dashcam is out, well, now, by the time you listen to it, there was a big controversy about whether it was banned by few. Yeah. We'll get out in a second because um, we're, we're about to lose one of our number. You are, yes. I have a hard out and I need to go upstairs and finish <laughs> some stuff before I go. So I am going this to be away. It's all the Queen's fault. But I give Bergman <laughs> Island uh, five Bergmans. So that's, uh, that's five great. Five Bergmans out of how many? Uh, uh, out of five. Five Bergmans out of five. I give men 
give a five two and a half men and two and a half men yeah and I will give dash cam four dash cams there you go okay that's James's way of saying he hasn't seen any of them I don't know what you mean I've seen all of these films you will never know bye bye James happy Queen Day well I'm on it's just you and me alone at last just gonna move to that side of the table you can't escape me <laughs> you can't win, Darth. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Dashcam. So there was this, there was this uh, brief controversy that flared today, where Rob yeah. Savage said on Twitter that it seemed that few cinemas, the few cinema chain, had banned Dashcam. We're not showing Dashcam in any of their cinemas, and the reason seemed to be that they were disagreeing with the film's content, not in terms of its gore and whatnot, but in terms of the things that Annie Hardy. Uh, who in the film is an exaggerated version of herself and and says or does says and does things that some people might find unconscionable. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So they, 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 they now few are saying the reason we're not showing dashcam is because it just didn't quite the numbers didn't quite work out for us. Yeah. Now I'm I'm glad that that has changed. Um, filmmakers uh, should feel free to sort of you know put their work on screen and have that work be shown as it was intended without any sort of restrictions on it so i'm glad that that was sorted out uh that being said <laughs> let's talk about uh dash cam uh because well we'll get into it but we should now <laughs> would be a good time yeah, I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, I meant we'll get into it in terms of what i think about the film oh i see i see okay but in terms of what the film's actually about um it follows annie hardy as you say um who is an la musician fleeing lockdown and she wants to visit a former bandmate in england um <laughs> and that visit complications arise because she is not the best uh, person to live with to put it mildly she angers her former bandmate's girlfriend he endangers his job and then things take a turn for the worst when uh, she accepts some money to drive a stranger uh, to a different address uh, this stranger is ill and then it uh <laughs> it does reveal that the stranger has a lot more weird stuff going on with her and that is all i will say about that i will say this there are some really cool stylistic things here, especially when the shaky cam, there's a lot of shaky cam in this movie, but there are times when they slow that down and there's a lot of really meticulously crafted shots throughout this movie that really that are really striking and really uh, stick in your mind. Um, so I enjoyed that. I have to praise the commitment of Annie Hardy in terms of committing to the bit, although, as you say, given that it's a version of herself, uh, there's that question as well of... Um, how how much of that is commitment how much of that is just her but given that for me the character it was a little hard to sort of spend one hour with her because I did find her a little bit well a lot grating um all the way through I found that a bit repetitive and yeah this movie was even though it was an hour long I felt it was watching it it felt a little bit longer to me I kind of couldn't wait for it to end I was not a big fan Okay, interesting. Did you like Host? I did like Host. Uh, we had that very funny spoiler special uh, <laughs> because, as you know, I don't do well with horror and there was a lot of freaky you stuff you don't. Uh, in that movie. I thought that was really effective and that was the thing that had me going to this one with, uh, even though it was another you know, horror movie, this was a mm. guided host, let's see, let's see what he's got. And with this, I didn't even find it that scary, to be honest, did you? 
It's an interesting film, this one. I, I, yeah, I, I kind of agree that it's not as scary as Host. What's interesting about it is I don't think it's meant to be. Hmm. Um, I think this is a very interesting exercise at a point in Rob Savage's career where he can experiment with stuff, uh, where he can experiment with things like running time and audience complicity and mm-hmm. audience reactions to things. And this is, you know, if Host took a very kind of traditional approach with horror, which is here are your characters, you like these characters. These are likable, relatable characters for the most part. And this is a very similar movie in that nothing happens for the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Host. And it's all set up. And then once the shit starts hitting the fan, that fan gets turned to high speed very, very quickly and then shits everywhere. Not the greatest metaphor, but I'm going with it. Uh, (laughs) The interesting thing here is that this is a deliberate attempt to put the audience through through the ringer with a character that is testing. To put it mildly. To put it mildly. I think it works in terms of it being a roller coaster ride, more of a roller coaster ride. I mean, it obviously moves more just by its very nature. It moves more than than Host did. I don't think it's quite as successful as Host. Uh, I don't think it's as scary as Host, but I don't think it's. I think that's deliberate. I think it's more about this being an onslaught of lots of loud noises and things leaping at you out of the frame. I think if this were a thirty million dollar movie or a fifty million dollar movie, then I don't think that he's taking the risks that he does with the lead character here. But I'm very, very excited to uh, to see where he goes next. And I'm excited to talk about this because we're doing a spoiler special on this uh, with Rob Savage and with the co-writers, Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard. And there's a lot to talk about. Honestly, I'm excited to hear what they have to say. Uh, I think I'll find their answers very, very interesting, um, given the provocative nature of what they're trying to go for here. Um but yeah, watching it uh, at least first time out didn't work for me. Well, Amon, we didn't agree with you as a magazine. We gave this one four stars. Uh, we applauded the filmmaking <laughs> technique and the bravura <laughs> on display with this one. Four stars then for Rob Savage's dash cam. There is another horror film out this week and it is called Men. Men, 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 men. And this is the uh, the movie that Rory Kinnear was on last week's podcast, uh, interviewed so expertly by Amon. Oh, you. Uh, oh, come on now. You paid me <laughs> to say that. And this is the Alex Garland film written and directed by Alex Garland, of course, of uh, Annihilation and Ex Machina. And he was the writer of Dread. Uh, great, great film. Yes. And, uh, you know, genius level writer and increasingly accomplished director. And this stars Jesse Buckley as... Uh, a woman who has suffered a recent trauma in her life and relocates uh, to a place where, at least to her and our perception, every man she meets has Rory Kinnear's face. Now, I haven't seen this one yet. I am going to go to a screening of this immediately afterwards. Um, but Amon has seen it. And yeah. a week later, are you still coming to terms with it? What, what's happening here? <laughs> still coming to terms with it is probably the best way to describe it. But I will say this, you know, Vorvi Kinnear and Jesse Buckley are fantastic. These are two names where you hear them on the cast. It's like, okay, I'm immediately interested because they are that good. And Vorvi Kinnear, this is a dream role for an actor getting to play uh, all of these characters and really sort of be a chameleon and add to the archetypes of these characters because they are archetypes they are all people who are avatars of toxic masculinity and who all um sort of interact with 
Jesse Buckley's character in different ways. Um, but Rory Kinnear is able to put meat on the bone uh, with each of these archetypes in a really, really impressive way. And Jesse Buckley, um, she's just so magnetic as Harper all the way through this film. Uh, so I like that. Um, and some of the horror imagery in this film is just, I mean, <laughs> it'll mess you up. The, without getting into spoilers, the last 20 or so minutes of this film, I wish there was a camera on my face so I could watch it back and just see what faces I was making because I was like, what in the actual hell am I watching? Um, <laughs> I, I, can't wait for, I can't wait to discuss this with, with you, Chris, once you've seen it. Um, yeah, what it all leads up to, I'm still coming to terms with it. Um, I feel like there's many things that the film kind of wants to say, but I'm unsure how it's trying to say it. I think it's in some ways about trauma, it's in some ways about um, men and how they interact with women, and it's in some ways about grief as well, especially when it comes to Jesse Buckley's character. Um, we see the trauma that she goes through early on in the film, and that sort of plays a role and something that she comes back to at multiple points all the way through the film. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, this. Um, Alex Garland, I should probably say, I'm a big... I, I admire the sort of swings he takes, but I haven't sort of fallen for them all of the time. I was not part of the annihilation loving <laughs> i know there was a big loving mm. amongst critics mm. um ex machina is a film that i got along with a little bit more in comparison to that i'm a big fan of dread um this is probably his biggest weirdest swing in some respects and you have to admire that to a point but in terms of me fully falling in love with it and getting it on first time out that is still i'm, I'm not there yet um i'll happily admit that um but I will say, again, given the performances, given what I've read up about it since, I'm intrigued to go into it again with that knowledge and see how it plays for me. All right. Interesting. You think Rory Kinnear is chameleonic? You have no idea because he actually <laughs> plays Jesse Buckley as well. He's I would really not be great. surprised, honestly. <laughs> he is really, really, really great. He uh, is. We gave this one three stars. We gave this one three stars. Three stars then for Alex Garland's Men. But as we always say in the podcast, that is a recommendation. <laughs> I see what you did there. I know. So do I. I have to live with it now. <laughs> Last but not least this week, we have Bergman Island, which is the latest film from Mia Hansen Love and uh, takes us to, indeed, Bergman Island. Foro, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, Swedish oh. listeners are probably going to be listening, you know, throwing <laughs> things at the pod device of choice. We uh, apologize. The gentleman who uh, advised me a couple of weeks ago that Alexander Skarsgård is actually pronounced Skorsgård. And then you hear uh, the the island, Faro. Uh, oh. that's, that's how you pronounce it if you say it, you know, if you read it as it's, as it's written, F-A-R-O. I would pronounce that Faro or Faro, but if you hear it in the movie, and they actually pronounce it Foro. So... Oh. That's cool because of the Swedish pronunciation and, and whatnot. Uh, so this is the island in which uh, Ingmar Bergman, the great Ingmar Bergman, lived and worked and you know made many of his greatest movies whilst he was there. And this is the story of a, a married couple, a filmmaker couple, played by Tim Roth, Tim Roth uh, and uh, Ficky Creeps, <laughs> who go to this island for a, a sort of 
filmmakers immersive workshop slash masterclass slash get away from it all so she can write a screenplay for their next movie he's also writing the screenplay for the next movie there are cracks that begin to appear in their marriage scenes from a marriage if yeah. you will <laughs> uh, and there are other ways other things that develop including a, a, a sort of intervention of fantasy into reality um, a film within the film if you will uh, so Amon what did you make of this one yeah I really loved that film within a film element and I really like this film as a whole the performances are fantastic I love the marital tension that Tim Roth and Vicky Creeps um, sort of showcase here I love that they never really raise their voice, but you can feel the tension all the way through. I love mm. as well, <laughs> being a writer myself, the fact that so much of that tension is rooted in the writer's block and, you know, kind of you know, help Never had it, mate. <laughs> Knock it out. I'm sure. Hack I'm sure. it out, more like. <laughs> a lot of that stuff felt very relatable to me. Mm. Uh, so, so that was good. And then uh, that film within a film structure gives us... M- Mia Vasikowska and Anders Danielson Lee, who impressed me so much with his work on The Worst Person in the World, mm-hmm. um, which this would make a very good double bill would actually think it make a really good triple bill with the souvenir part two as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because these, yeah. these are all films about women sort of finding their role and find, finding their place, finding their confidence in their work life and in life in general. Um, and I, really really like that uh all, all of that came through very very well also <laughs> i wish ben was here for this as well probably the best use of abba in the film since mamma mia would you agree <laughs> <laughs> it's a I really great it's a really great scene um, <laughs> i would agree yes so yeah <laughs> yes I, I, will, I will say like i'm i'm not the biggest ingmar bergman fan so i'm sure people who are will take mm-hmm. even more from this film mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot um, that's to do with that. They go on this retreat and go to places that he visited and that um, he owned in order to sort of help unlock that writer's block and, you know, in, in order to help them with their screenplays. Um, mm-hmm. So if you are a fan of Ingmar Bergman, you'll probably take, you know, more from scenes like that. Um, but even without uh, having that, I did really enjoy this film. Yes, I did as well, uh, very much so. And uh, you know, it's interesting that I think in the Ficky Creeps character, it does present a counter argument to anyone who thinks that you know, uh, maybe maybe it's just Mia Hansen Love kind of just covering her bases a little bit and, and having to have a character who doesn't believe that Ingmar Bergman's the greatest things in sliced bread. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's certainly Ficky Creeps' character, Chris, not me. Um, is someone who doesn't worship at his altar, which is which I thought was was interesting. Whereas uh, Tim Roth's Tony very much yeah. is, and we get to see little little excerpts from Cries and Whispers, and uh, you know, there's it feels they actually shot on the island and they shot yeah. around his his home, which is which is basically now I believe almost like a national trust property or the Swedish equivalent of a national trust property. We should also mention that Tim Roth is a <laughs> filmmaker and this who interacts with a lot of film nerds. Yes. <laughs> and that aspect is, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say all the way relatable, but I, was, I, I know some of those types, shall we say. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yes, it's so, you know, whether you're a fan of Bergman or not, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot here to enjoy and a lot to appreciate. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we will be 
back to a full complement-ish. Helen will be off for another week or so, but we'll probably have four people in the room. And cool. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, they'll stay the course with the entire podcast rather than just leaving halfway through. <laughs> or maybe even watch the films, who knows? Well, you're asking a lot of James. <laughs> that is asking an awful lot of him. You know, baby steps. <laughs> uh, anyway, join us next week for more Filmulated Fun when we'll be joined by... Bryce Dallas Howard. Woo. Bryce Dallas Howard, star of Jurassic World Dominion, the third film in the Jurassic World trilogy, which brings that franchise for now to an end. Or does it? Etc., etc., etc. And we'll also be joined by, I hope, the interview hasn't happened yet, but we think it's going to happen next week, uh, by the star of Swan Song. Not to be confused with the 14 other movies called Swan Song that were released <laughs> over the last few years. Uh, this is the legendary king of independent cinema, Udo Kier. Very, very excited about that one as well. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it's time to say goodbye to my one colleague of such lethal cunning. <laughs> I stayed the course. Thank you for staying the course, <laughs> Amon Woman. Uh, I mean, I, I could do this by myself, but I, I don't think it would be anywhere near as compelling. Uh, Amon Woman, goodbye, sir. Peace. Peace be unto you, my friend. And it is goodbye from me as well. I am off to... You know, keep half an eye on the Queen's Jubilee celebrations. There's a big old party at Buckingham Palace with some of the biggest names in the world of entertainment. And my hope, my fervent hope, is that they find room for Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> that would be amazing. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! <laughs> Bring it home, my friend. Bring it home. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.